This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Inclusion and mental health cannot be discussed in isolation. We must act together, amplify voices that need to be heard, and operationalize our programs to deliver the impact our people and workplaces deserve. To assist HR and leadership professionals in shifting their mindset and their approach to work. Barbie Winterbottom wrote The Five Imperatives. Changing our workplaces begins with changing ourselves. It really is an inside job. Valeria interviews Barbie Winterbottom. She is the author of Five Imperatives for People Professionals. Like millions around the globe during the COVID-19 pandemic, Barbie's job was eliminated. She knew this was a pivotal moment for her and her career, and that it was time to lean into her dream and passion for growing talent. And so, Barbie launched the Business of HR, a boutique consulting firm offering services, including coaching, consulting, speaking, and giving back to the HR and community she loves so much. With 20 plus years of experience in leadership and people, Barbie has developed a sixth sense and a unique ability to quickly see through the noise of an issue and identify the root cause to create the right strategy and team to solve the problem at its core. She has deep roots in talent acquisition with specific emphasis on high volume hiring, TA transformation, employment branding and training, And we use this experience and knowledge to build end-to-end strategies to deliver the best talent possible. With significant demand in this space, Barbie launched the Hiring Squad in 2022 with her business partner, Sam Eaton. Together, we bring you customized recruitment strategy, branding, training, and more. We can help train your TA team as well as your hiring managers and people leaders. Because, let's face it, most leaders are not taught how to facilitate meaningful DEIB-informed interviews. As a member of the LGBTQIA community, a cancer survivor and the daughter and sister of a father and brother taken by suicide, she has a perspective and lived experience that informs and impacts everything she does to elevate mental health awareness and meaningful DEIB strategies and initiatives in the workplace. Barbie is honored to have been recognized as a top voice in the DEIB space, and she has recently joined the board of the Bauman Foundation for Workplace Equity and Mental Wellness. Meet Barbie at barbiewinterbottom.com. Here's the interview with Barbie Winterbottom. In your own words, who is Barbie Winterbottom? This is such a great question and one that I haven't been asked 
I don't think ever. Um, and so it gives me pause when I think about who I am. So I am first and foremost, a, a human in living in this world. And I believe that that is made up of elements of a spiritual being as well as a physical being. Um, I am a wife. I am a parent. I am a CEO and a business leader. Um, some people call me an influencer, which is an interesting title to me, um, because I'm not really sure what all of that encompasses, but it is part of what I do. I'm a writer. Uh, I have a podcast and a show on YouTube. So I do lots of different things. There's so many different parts of who I am. And I think that's how everyone is, really. It's hard to boil it down into a thing of, of what or who I am. I'm, I'm so many different things. I'm a performer. I'm a classically trained musician. Um, so there's just lots of different elements that make me me. Yes, it really resonates true to me, right? Being a human in this way, just not fitting in a box, being one thing, but everything, all the expressions that are here happening now, I love that. And the ones that we like most, and then it seems like we focus on them, we give our attention to them, and then we become more of that, but we are not never one thing, I agree. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful to you? I can define success for me. What I can't do is define success for everyone. Um, I think it's an incredibly personal definition. And society often defines success through a monetary lens. And that is just one element of how I define success. Um, to me, success is being at peace and being content in the life I have. Um, Again, both physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, finding cohesion and joy um, in all the aspects of my life, my family, being healthy, um, and making a difference in the lives of others and, and leaving a positive impact on, on the world. Um, and, and that doesn't have to be something magnanimous, like, you know, launching a spaceship or something. It can be something very small, um, but leaving a positive impact in whatever way we can, that to me is success. Is that how you also see the idea of purpose, having a purpose in life? Would that be making this positive impact in the world or something different? I do. I think purpose, again, is incredibly individual. Um, And it can be so many different things. I think purpose is where your, your intellect and your creativity and passion come together and you make something new or better or different from that. And you're able to influence and impact others in a positive, healthy way by connecting to that purpose. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be people. I have a huge passion for animals. And one of my dreams in the near future is to have an animal rescue for senior animals who have been discarded. To me, that's incredibly purposeful. Um, and it doesn't have anything to do with the work I do today or money or anything, but there's a, there's a gift in giving to me, in my opinion, there's a gift in giving to animals because they give so much to us. And that's, yeah. that is purposeful to me. Yet yeah, that made me emotional, really. 
you know, I often don't cry. I do cry, but it's <laughs> with the, yeah, I don't know exactly why I cry. Now you just, something touched the heart, like deeply. That is so true. Mm, I have you. a dog and he's, I mean, he gives so much, exactly what you said. They do. And you know, it's interesting. I have a, a little story, but about eight years ago, well, maybe seven, my dog, who I adored, um, I found her on the side of the road. Her name was Sophie. She passed away. And I had just gone through a very tumultuous breakup. And I was seeing my therapist and I had had many sessions with my therapist. And when my dog passed away, I was hysterical. I could not stop sobbing. I cried for days. And I asked my therapist, I said, why am I reacting more to the loss of my dog than I am to the loss of this relationship. I was in a committed relationship for many years and I had been betrayed and some awful things had happened. And yet I was sobbing uncontrollably for days, if not weeks after my dog passed. And she said something so impactful to me that I have never forgotten. She said, animals are truly the only beings on this earth that live without malice they live without judgment. They live without all of the things that humans possess. And it doesn't make humans bad, but the love animals share is purely for the sake of connection and loving. And we feel that loss so deeply. Whereas humans, our love is conditional, even when we say it's not. I, I'm, and this is controversial, I know, but I'm not sure humans are truly capable of unconditional love because there are things that can happen that can break that bond. Violence, betrayal, so many different things. But animals, they don't relate to us in that way. They love us even when we treat them poorly and they never stop. And so, I, I do believe that that's what touches our hearts and our souls when we think about our relationships to animals and, and what they give to us. It truly is the purest definition of unconditional love. Do you have any spiritual ideas of yourself, life, any spiritual views or practices? I do. You know, I grew up in, in a Christian-based faith um, and, and practiced different types of Christian-based faith when I was very young. My mom's family was Catholic, so we we grew up in that space. And then as I got older, um, well, not really older, but when I was five, my father committed suicide. And in the Catholic church at that time, in the church we were going to, their belief system was that if you take your life, you are punished by going to hell. And so as a five-year-old child, I was given messages by the nuns and the folks in that church that my dad was in hell. And that was something that just my mom was not willing to accept or support, which I'm grateful for her for that. Um, so she made the decision for us to find another type of church and, and place of worship. So I then moved into a more secular, uh, like Presbyterian, um, Christian based faith. So I've always had that as I've become an adult and had my own uh, experiences and, and life's journey, I'm not sure that there is any one particular faith that has all the pieces. I, I think that we are connected through a spiritual um, being or connectivity, as it were, 
but some call it God, some call it um, the universe, some call it nature. Some There's so many different ways of defining it. Um, I do believe we are all very, very connected and there's an energy we share. And I believe it's a divine energy. And I do believe that there are ways in which we can amplify that. And there are ways we can diminish it. Um, but I don't necessarily subscribe to any particular religion or any particular faith at this point because I've developed my own um, ideas of what I believe is and isn't real. And what is, you know, we as humans, we have passed down our history through storytelling. And so I think so much of religion now is a result of man's ability or inability to pass history down through story. And we are flawed. And so the core essence of many of those messages, I think, have been morphed and watered down. And so to me, it's more about getting in touch with the way in which we make one another feel and how we connect versus the doctrine of any one particular faith. A question that I have for you is, um, I know you have lost your father and your brother to suicide. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how have you made sense of that? From the human experience or spiritually in your own way, have you found answers for that or just left as it is? Uh, I I think I have. You know, it's something that we'll never truly know until we cross that bridge and and have the ability to see things in in retrospect. But, you know, as a child growing up, when you're just learning about the world and you don't really have all the pieces, not that I have them all today, but, you know, certainly more than I did when I was five, um, I felt rejected. I felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt like, well, if he had loved me more, he would have stayed around. What, what, what about me wasn't enough to make him want to stay? As I've grown, I've recognized that that's not at all likely what, what was going through his mind at the time and that our lives belong to us. And, and what we do with our lives is solely our decision. That is a freedom we have and choices we can make. And I can't judge anyone for decisions they make about their own lives. And with my, with my father, he and my mother were going through things and he was, um, I believe at this point, knowing what I know, he suffered from some mental, um, mental health challenges and he had really high highs and really low lows. And I think at this moment in time was a really low low for him. And he didn't feel like he was enough and that there was it that we would be better off without him with my brother i think he was tired my brother had struggles very personal struggles from birth he had seizures as a baby which made his brain function differently and i think he was just tired he had lived for 32 years on this planet and i think that it was his time and i've accepted that i've accepted that we're all here for a season whatever that season is. And he was ready to move on. And and I celebrate that with him. Did it break my heart? Of course it did. Did it break my mother's heart? Of course it did. But I don't own blame for it. And I don't blame him for it because it was his life to do with what he wanted. And that was his choice in that moment. And I accept that. How do you see mental wellness? What is to be mentally healthy? Yeah. What is that to you? What does it look like? 
again, I think this is something that is is different for everyone. But for me personally, and I'm not a therapist, I'm not a licensed mental health practitioner. So I certainly am not an authority on the subject. But for me, um, mental wellness means there is a, a continuity between my, my mind, the way I think, my body, the way I feel. And there is a calm and a peace, um, about all of those things that they work harmoniously together in, in the best interest of my well-being. Um, because we can get into a space when we are mentally unwell, well, where those things are in alignment, but they're not necessarily in alignment for our well-being. They are in alignment, but something has thrown them out of sync. And, you know, one of my dearest friends, uh, Natasha Bowman, who has shared her story publicly and she attempted suicide and she suffers from bipolar disorder. And so in her moment, when she was attempting that, all things were aligned in her mind because she felt like she, she had nothing to offer and, and it, you know, her time was done. And that's not mental wellness, but there was alignment there. So I think it's, it's very, very different for everyone. And the best thing we can do is understand what makes us happy and how do we find that positivity of, I am in alignment physically, emotionally, mentally, and I'm in, in a happy or a positive space with it. And it doesn't mean that everything in the world goes our way all day, every day. We still face challenges, but mentally well people have a balanced or a more balanced perspective when those challenges do come our way with how we respond to them. And I think that's also another element of mental wellness is how we respond when crisis happens, how we respond when things don't go our way, because those things don't necessarily tip us over because we are in that state of balance. What brings us to that state? Is balance something that we um, constantly kind of falling out of it and then knowing the way back? Or do you see balance as um, kind of static, fixed destination to be in or space to live in? I'm not sure anything is static. (laughs) I really am not sure about that. But to me, it is about um, having the ability to adapt and to be flexible and to understand that, you know, this too shall pass and we can, we can weather the storm and it doesn't mean it's easy, but we have that foundation. And I think that foundation comes from knowing who you are and being comfortable in your own skin, in your own body, in your own space and being okay with that. And also being okay that how I see myself, how I accept and celebrate me may not resonate with someone else. And that's okay. They get to do what works for them just as much as I get to do what works for me. And if I'm solid in, I know who I am. I know what I believe. I know what I stand for. I know what I will and won't accept from others. To me, that is the foundation of, of being in that state of balance. I'm not chasing approval. I'm not um, asking people to tell me who I am. I'm comfortable. I know who I am and I'm okay with that. And what other people do is really has no impact on me. I I love, 
you've likely read Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements. And, um, I believe wholeheartedly in, in, um, you know, what other people think of me is none of my business. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and if you can really embrace that, that's a big step, in my opinion, to finding harmony within yourself and that, that balance and that space where you can respond to what happens, but not necessarily react. Yes, um, knowing who we are, so we're kind of stable enough to respond, as you say, in a positive way or in a flexible way, so we don't hold anything personal. So another open question, oh my God, I have so many. This is the last one, is about the world's greatest need at this time. What comes to mind, Barbie? Mm. I, <laughs> wow, um, that's a big question. I think perhaps not centering ourselves in the center of the world would be a, a big first step. I think you know social media has really changed society in so many ways, some positive, some not so positive. But what it has done, and I see this with our children um, more and more, is it, when you, these kids are growing up staring at themselves on their phones or their iPads or whatever they're using, videotaping them, you know, vi making videos constantly of themselves, whether it's dancing, do it innocently. I mean, it's nothing inappropriate, but they are the, they, it's creating this sense of they're the center of the universe. And when we believe and start to buy into that, I think it's a very slippery slope. And if we could recognize that we are all in this together and that we are all one in, in this connectivity space, I think the world would be a much better place. You know, Oprah said something, gosh, probably 10 years ago now or more. I was watching her show and she was interviewing a spiritual leader and she had an aha moment because we're taught to think that God is in us. God is in me. God is in you. God is in everyone. But they reframed it and said, but what if instead of God being in us, which is very individualistic, what if we are all in God and we are all part of this greater collective whole, this big circle that, that encompasses all of us and we're connected in that way. And I was like, wow, that's really powerful. And I think if the world could understand that, and again, whether you call it God or the universe or nature or whatever, that's okay. But I think recognizing that we are all connected and whatever bad things we do to someone else, eventually it's coming back to us. So let's, let's just be kinder mm. to our world and to each other. I think kindness and compassion if I were to boil it down, I would say kindness and compassion is what our world needs. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Uh, infinite yeses to that. <laughs> <laughs> kindness and compassion. Oh, my God. Yes, I absolutely agree, especially coming from that understanding, that deep understanding that everything is connected. It was never separated. Let's talk about your work. I know you have written the five imperatives for people mm -hmm. professionals, and you break down into these um, five great suggestions, uh, kind of guiding points. I love the fifth one, be courageous in all that you do. For some reason, that kind of 
caught my attention immediately. Mm. So I would love to hear, actually, before you go through them, if you can do that, Barbie, would that be okay to go through each one of them? Thank you. And then before that, I would like to know your story, per se. Yeah, I'm not into stories anymore. For some reason, too, I kind of dropped all the stories. But just the background of how you came to do what you do today and what's the purpose of your work. Sure. It's a long story. Um, (laughs) Speaking of stories, right? So I've worked in the leadership, people, and human resources space for over 20 years. And during COVID, um, I lost my job, as millions of people around the globe did early in the pandemic. Um, I was the chief human resources officer for an organization, and the company was hit really hard with COVID. Um, The company was in the promotional product space. And when all the events around the world closed down, there's not a need for promotional products and Um, the things we give away at conferences and events and that type of thing. So I found myself in a situation where... There was no, uh, nobody was hiring and what do I do? And I had a, a vision that I wanted to launch my own consulting and coaching business, but it was, you know, three to five years from now. It wasn't something I was necessarily ready to do in that moment, but you know, the world puts us in situations where we have to make decisions. And so my decision was, let's just do this now. So I launched my, my firm, um, the business of HR, which I'm actually now changing the name to either the business of HR and leadership or the business of work, because it really is more it's it's about more than just human resources. That's a function, but it really is focusing on leadership and, and all the elements that make up the workplace. So it's important to me that folks understand the influence we have within the workplace on people and their lives. And that's when I wrote The Five Imperatives, it was really about helping folks who work in the HR space or in the leadership space understand that you can have all the degrees in the world, all the credentials, you can have amazing um, work experiences and all of these things, but still not necessarily be in the right space to support the workplace as we need it today. And in the HR space, especially, we're often very separated from what I call the business itself, from operations, from finance, from marketing, from sales, all the, you know, IT, all the different business functions. HR tends to hover outside. And there's, there's some reasons for that. One, a lot of the work we do is very confidential. We're talking about people's lives, their compensation, their health care their challenges, their struggles, whatever may be happening. So there's a lot of confidentiality around the work we do. There's also documents that are confidential that we are required by law to keep locked, like I-9 verification documents, healthcare records. So HR has for years been very separated often behind locked doors where you have to badge in and out just to get into the HR space. So it's created this division where companies and employees think about the business and then they think about HR over here as the the grim reaper, the bad guys, the people who hire and fire, the ones who punish us when we're doing wrong, the people who write us up. And the reality is that's not the case at all. HR is simply a a conduit um, 
in many ways for those types of things to happen. When someone gets fired from a job, as an example, HR is not firing them. Their boss is the person who made the decision to fire them. And yet HR is there helping to execute that particular task and therefore HR gets blamed. So my whole perspective on this is that we have to stop seeing ourselves as this separate entity hovering outside the business and see ourselves and recognize the value we have. And we are just as much a legitimate business function as sales, marketing, finance, IT, all the other business functions. And we must integrate ourselves and speak the language of our business. If we want the credibility that we so desire, if we want that seat at the table and our voices to be heard and valued, then we have to speak the language our business speaks. We can't go into a meeting about business decisions or finance and talk about HR policy. Nobody cares, right? They care about driving business goals and helping to improve something or make the customer experience better. So how do we as HR folks support those business outcomes? So that is how I named my company, The Business of HR, because I have a purpose of helping to transform HR professionals into business leaders who work in the people space. That is what we do. We are helping businesses by helping lead in the people space because there's one common thing that every company around the world has every one of them, and it's people. And so if we can't figure out how to create infrastructures, tools, processes, and systems that allow people to thrive, then we really are nothing but a transactional function that will likely be automated. So we have to evolve and recognize we do have a much greater value. And how do we bring that forward? We bring that forward by shifting our mindset and reframing the work we do. And that's when I wrote the methodology of the five imperatives for people professionals. That sounds wonderful to me, right? Because that's so true. If we are not dealing with humans in the sense of transforming, improving their lives or helping somehow with that, then it will be easier to become automated, right? A computer can do it. Right. Any machine could do that. I love this vision. It's a beautiful vision. I never heard of this before. I'm not in, in your business, so I don't know much about it. So I would love to hear about the five imperatives, Barbie, if you could sure. uh, describe them, please. I will go through them as quickly as I can. <laughs> I could spend long. an hour just talking about them. Yeah, so the I know. The first of the five imperatives is to be... Um, Agile and adaptable. You know, HR is not known for being agile, adaptable, flexible, or accepting of, of things that are outside the quote unquote norm. So for HR professionals specifically, we have to adapt to the zeitgeist of what's happening in the world. We have to adjust to what our people need today. And if COVID showed us nothing, it showed us how we can adapt and how we can be agile. And why can't we take that same mentality and apply it to other areas of the work we do? When we think about businesses like Kodak or Blockbuster, they didn't adapt and they are now no longer in existence, right? There's a fundamental um, truth in the universe that failure to adapt causes extinction. 
we have to think about that from a work perspective. And human resources professionals or people professionals must understand and embrace that universal truth. Because like we just mentioned, a lot of the work we do will be automated. Running payroll, processing terminations, onboarding new employees, so much of that work can be done with AI and bots and technology. So we have to understand our value is not in that. It's in connecting the dots between business goals and outcomes, people, behaviors, habits, competencies, and bringing those together. So that's the first one. Um, the Another one of the five imperatives is to um, use data, your experience, and your intuition to influence and inform decisions. And this is so important. Oftentimes, we just rely on data. And we all know that data can tell any story we really want it to tell if you manipulate the data in the right way. And so data alone doesn't tell the whole story. Your own personal or lived experience doesn't tell the whole story because you can only see it through the lens that you've walked. So that alone isn't enough. And our intuition, which we often try to ignore, and I tell people, embrace it. It's there for a reason. Your intuition is guiding you. It's telling you something's not right. Pay attention to this. Now, the caveat to all of this is to check your bias and your prejudice. We all have it. Bias and prejudice lives instinctively in all of us. It's there to keep us safe. It's there for a reason. But we have to check it and make sure that we are not allowing bias and prejudice to influence decisions in the wrong ways, right? We have to make sure that that intuition truly is on point from an intuitive perspective and that it's not an internal bias or prejudice. But when you can combine data, experience, and intuition, that is, in my opinion, the trifecta of being able to influence and inform decisions within a business because you are telling the story of how all of that works together to come to a conclusion. So that's the second one, influence and inform decisions. The third imperative is uh, practical solutions. We have to make sure that what we are doing, the work we're bringing forward, whether it's projects, initiatives, are serving our business where it is today. And that we didn't just, you know, we didn't go to a conference or read a book or, you know, listen to a podcast and hear something that we really liked and say, oh, well, I'm going to go do this at my company. That's great, but is that what your company actually needs? Or are you looking deep into your organization and asking the people, asking the leaders, looking at what you do have and saying, here's the gap, here's our struggle. Let's focus on that and let's try to solve it for right now and then iterate and make it better as we go. In the past, we had projects that would, you know, you'd work on the project for a year and then you'd roll it out and it was one and done. We now know that's not really the best way to transform anything. We have to look at it in, in sprints. We have to be iterative and try it, test it. Does it work? Start small and then, you know, grow it from there. Really, really important. Um, so let's see, is that four? Um, yeah, four. And then fifth is... Um, have courage in everything you do. It takes courage to have difficult conversations. It takes courage to challenge a CEO because he or she was inappropriate with, with their comments. It takes courage 
to terminate someone with dignity. It takes courage to admit when you were wrong. It takes courage to do all of these things. And then I've added another word to to the last one. I've added compassion because sometimes courage without compassion can make you a jerk. (laughs) You can be courageous and go out there and do something because you're (laughs) fired up with adrenaline and you've got courage to do it. But if you're not balancing that with compassion and knowing the impact of what you're doing, then then you may be missing the boat there. So um, courage and compassion, I think, are a great marriage to help people um, really do the good and needed work that we we desperately need within our organizations. That's wonderful. And this all came to you from experience. I'm sure intuition is part of it because I love that piece that you added there. Mm-hmm. So this is a combination of experience and intuition, right, Barbie, to come up with this? It is. You know, it really came to me because I was coaching um, an employee years ago and I was removing all the tactical work that this particular HR team was doing. They didn't need to spend their time focusing on things that could be automated. I wanted them to focus on the strategic work to really move the business forward and help um, with the people infrastructure and programs that would really help employees to thrive. And one of the employees I was coaching, she had the courage to say to me after months of going back and forth, and I was getting frustrated because things weren't moving as quickly as I was hoping for. And she finally sat me down and she said, you're taking away all of the work that I know how to do. Processing terminations, processing new hires, running payroll, all the tactical work, you're removing it so that I can do the strategic work. But Barbie, I don't understand what that means. She had the courage to speak up and say, you talk about strategy all the time, but I don't even know what that, what, what does that mean for me? And I had this huge epiphany moment where I was like, oh my gosh, so many people think strategy is a thing. It's, it's a document or a PowerPoint that you put together or a white paper that you write about changing a a thing or whatever it is that you want to do. And I, and I was able to step back and reflect and I recognized that being strategic is the way you think about the work you do. Being strategic happens in every conversation, in every email, in every meeting you're in. Strategy exists there. And that's what's important is understanding that strategy isn't a document. It's the way you approach your work. I love the way you think. I love the way you see uh, yourself, life from different point of views. It's just, uh, it's it's a wonderful thing to just witness human beings to wake up for their own potential and see the larger view of life and in what, whatever capacity that is. So it's really, truly wonderful thing. (laughs) What can I say? It's just really, really wonderful to see people like yourself expressing and manifesting life as you do. Thank you so much, Barbie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But before that, I would like to mention something that caught my attention um, on your website, something that I read about you. You write, we must change ourselves first if we want to change our workplaces. Transformation really is an inside job. 
that resonated deeply with me. It's the title of this episode because that's how how powerfully (laughs) I felt about it. I mean, it's true. Everything starts with us, and I see that in, within everyone that I talk here. It's, they are empowered and they, they feel powerful because they made chains within themselves, the mind, body, in, in, in every way. It's that beautiful work. So the ending questions, let's see. I know I had more questions here for you, but because of the time, let me ask you, I'll ask you this question. What do you love most about being in a human body? I have never thought about this ever. Uh, What do I love most about being in the human body? Um, I, I think while there's a lot of struggles, I will, I will admit that. um, And I've had many of them myself. I've struggled with weight and body image issues and I've had cancer and I've had lots of different things happen to this physical being. Um, But the other side of it is there's, there's an, an enormous amount of joy that we can experience as well. I think about going swimming and what that feels like, the physical sensation of being, you know, completely surrounded by water or smelling um, fresh cut grass, or one of my favorite things to do is sit off the beach and sitting on the beach and smelling that salt air. And so I think that the senses that we have and being able to experience those senses in so many different ways is a gift that I think we take for granted, um, perhaps until maybe we lose one of those senses and then we recognize the value and, and how important it is. Um, and I think physical connection is also really important when you hug someone, when you shake hands, when you physically connect, there's, there's a shared experience there. And if we didn't have a physical being, I'm not sure we would be able to do that in the same way. My last question is what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body besides the beautiful moment at the beach that I'm still Mm, thinking about. (laughs) Definitely the beach. Um, I would say to truly know what it feels like to love and be loved um, and and humbling yourself enough to accept love in, in whatever form it is, because I think that's a challenge for many of us, is if, if, if it's not what we think it should be, then we don't accept it. Um, so I think experiencing that is really important. Um, travel, I think, is one of the best gifts we can give ourselves. It gets us out of our little worlds. It helps us recognize that, again, to what I said earlier, that we're not the center of our, of the universe, that there are cultures and people who live much more lavishly than we do. And there are people who live much more humbly and simply than we do. And to appreciate all the variabilities and all the different amazing things our, our world has to offer. So I think, um, traveling as much as you possibly can is, is a huge gift we can give ourselves before we leave this realm, this planet, um, so that we appreciate it for what it is. It's a gift we've been given. And if we don't see it, how do we appreciate it? Um, and I would say third is, is again, going back to what I said is connecting with, um, nature. And to me, that's animals and, um, you know, my, my dogs, my cats, my whatever, we're moving out to a ranch, so there'll be horses and all those things. So making those connections, um, with, with things that are not necessarily human or that don't look like you, um, is, is also a a gift you can give yourself. 
I absolutely love, love, <laughs> love a thousand times your wisdom. Yeah, it's you. profound. It's practical. It's obvious. Um, it's beautiful. Thank you so much again for recognizing <laughs> that in you and sharing that with others and for being open to life to that point of going deeper. Thank you so much again, Barbie. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. And before we say goodbye for today, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Yeah, well, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you're on social media, you can find me there. You can connect with me on Instagram. And you can also connect with me on um, on my website. You can go to barbiewinterbottom.com or thebusinessofhr.com. Um, either one will take you to the same place and my contact information is there. Thank you again. I'll have those links on your podcast profile as well. Thank you for your presence and we'll talk soon. Thank Bye. you so much. Have Bye a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Barbie Winterbottom and her work, please visit barbiewinterbottom.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.